The time is now. Volume 4, Episode 52, this is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, Vice Chair of the Labor and Employment Department at Cozen O'Connor. Thank you so much for listening once again as we continue to embark on 2020's greatest of podcast episode topics and issues. So whether you happen to be in the recruiting space specifically, or if you are in human resources or involved in employment law somehow more generally, you have to be a little bit interested these days in what's going on in the world of artificial intelligence and data science, big data, all of those fancy schmancy terms that we've been hearing about, reading about, tweeting about. Um, Are you familiar with those terms and what they really mean? Are you wondering whether big data and machine learning and artificial intelligence will be replacing you or people who work alongside of you? Well, I am very happy uh, to be tackling those issues today and even happier to uh, have on this episode of the podcast a very special guest with me. Kelly Trindell is the head of industrial organizational science and diversity analytics at a company called Pymetrics. Pymetrics is a gamified assessment and analytics startup creating employment selection tools and performance enhancement software for the human capital field. She joined Pymetrics in February of 2018, and before that, she worked at the United States EEOC, most recently serving as Chief Analyst and Director of Research and Investigative Analysis, where she led a group of social scientists located in district offices around the country to provide analytic support for systemic investigations and case development. If that sounds extremely impressive to you, well, you are hearing it correctly. So I'm honored to have Kelly join us uh, and answer a few questions today. Kelly, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. So you are currently the I, the head of I.O. Science and Diversity Analytics at Pymetrics. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Pymetrics and what your role is at the company? Sure. Well, Pymetrics is a platform that matches people to their best fit companies and roles. And we use behavioral science assessments and machine learning techniques to to make those matches. Um, My role at Pymetrics, um, the IO means industrial organizational psychology. IO psychologists have been doing assessment for employment selection for 50 to 100 years. And so it's the, I run the group that does the assessment that's most familiar with the psychological assessments that consults with uh, clients about best practices and also the team that does adverse impact and predictive validity studies on the back end which is related to of course legal defensibility but also scientific scrutiny 
it's all fascinating to me, uh, certainly as a topic, and we'll dive in because when people start talking about these kinds of concepts, people get overwhelmed, intimidated, and many people don't even know what we're talking about. So hopefully by the end of this session, uh, people have a much more uh, understanding, much more of an understanding as to what we're talking about here. Um, so prior to Pymetrics, I understand you were also the Chief Analyst and Research Director at the EEOC. Yep. What role did you serve there? Yeah, so at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, I was there for about eight years, and I started out as a what they called a social science research analyst, and basically what that meant was when there was a class or a systemic case of discrimination, there's a team of statisticians um, at EEOC that handles data for class cases and looks to see, um, you know, if the charge was, let's say, um, African Americans, you know, not being hired into a particular job, there is actual data to get from HR systems to determine whether there's statistical evidence of that. So I started out as a member of that team and then I w moved up over the years and became the leader of that team and it was a national team. Um, EEOC has different district offices around the country and so I had a team over there of about 12 um, different social science research analysts who were doing those kind of uh, analyses and s support for investigations. Well, and how did you get to the EEOC? Did you go right right out of high school? <laughs> no, um, so I went on after high school <laughs> and got a few degrees in, um, my degrees are in psychology, and when you're studying research psychology, you learn about statistics and analytics, and so uh, it was that preparation that set me up for EEOC. I did a little bit of research in prejudice and discrimination and it set me up nicely um, to move into that. So I did a little bit of teaching um, at the college level before I went to EEOC. Interesting. And so you touched on it a little bit, but how did you first get interested in this area of data science and machine learning for employment selection? Yeah, so when I was at EEOC towards the end of my tenure there, in, in the context of investigations, actually, I started to become aware that there were new tools that utilized machine learning and data science for employment selection purposes. And they seemed different than the traditional psychological assessments. So traditional psychological assessments, um, listeners to your podcast are probably familiar with things like, you know, IQ tests, personality tests. Um, we play in a space that's similar, but we use different techniques. And so I started to become aware of these different techniques, and I started to think about challenges that would come up in the context of investigations. So I started to study those challenges, think about those challenges, talk to people around the commission about them, um, and sort of moved into this role as almost EEOC's kind of internal expert around what are the changes going to be for HR systems and selection, and how does the commission prepare for those changes. And so in 2016, shortly before I left the commission, there was actually a public hearing um, at that time, we called it Big Data because we weren't sure what else to call it. <laughs> and so I testified on behalf of the commission um, at that hearing uh, shortly before you know the administration changed and, and I moved on after the fact. That's interesting. And I think people, when they're listening to these issues and talking about these issues, they think that this is something that just developed, you know, the last year, the last mm -hmm. two years. Mm -hmm. uh, it may not have been around for 50 years, but this isn't something that just popped up on our radars. No, it's not. It's been in development for some time. So Pymetrics, for example, where I work... Um, you know, started in 2013. So it was around probably 2015 when I was inside the commission that I started to hear about these new startups and what they were doing. Um, so yeah, it's been going on now for a little while and I think um, 
there's, you know, Pymetrics is one of a class of startups, and we're all now moving into, you know, sort of growing up as companies and getting more and more clients, and it's not going away. I think that's one thing. It's it's not new within the last year, and it's not going away anytime soon. It's kind of a new day for... It's not just a fad, not just a phase. No, definitely not. I mean, and the reason why I think it's not just a fad or a phase is because some of these things actually work. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, that's a good thing. Yeah, and, you know, clients <laughs> can see that, and they see the benefits that they're getting, and they become more and more interested, and, and, you know, on we go from there. So if it's not something that we can call completely new, it's probably safe to say that this has been sort of a slow build in terms of people understanding this stuff, people uh, developing a sense of, hey, maybe we should start looking into it. Why do you think that there has been the kind of slow development of this if it's been around for a little bit? Is it just people uh, go with their routine and Mm -hmm. people don't like change? Yeah, that's a really good question. So around here at Pymetrics, we talk a lot about the status quo and being up against the status quo. I think... um, I understand because of where I came from the sort of um, it seems threatening when you first start thinking about it Um, but there's also a lot of promise involved if these things are done correctly Um, and so I think the slow burn has to do with people as you say sort of being used to the status quo understanding what an IQ test is or a Mm -hmm. personality test and understanding what that means and sort of wanting to stick to things that they know I think also, to be quite honest, I think internally there are just structures and large organizations that are built around the way things always have been, and disrupting those can be a little touchy and tricky, and, you know, takes a while to get there. So I think we're in the middle of that. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you a little bit more about this toward the end to make sure I remember to ask you, um, but, but is there also another reason going into that that people are sort of afraid uh, that they could be replaced with this? Mm-hmm. So people who are making decisions about, hey, should our company be using uh, data science and machine learning, mm-hmm. why do I essentially want to train my replacement? Yeah, I think people are worried about that, and I think it's a really interesting discussion to be had because... The first thing I think about is, um, you know, things are changing for sure, everywhere. It's not just in HR and employment selection. Um, But I think if we're able to sort of harness the power of these new tools and use them to our benefit, we have the potential to rather than, you know, replace recruiters, rather put tools in the hands of the recruiters that can help them automate a lot of the more boring type tasks and just give them the power to understand more about potential candidates and you know make the best recommendations you know for people who are interested in in different jobs i think another thing that sort of scares people which i'm not sure if you were going to ask me about but it's about the fairness um are mm-hmm. we going to run into the kinds of uh investigations that i used to be involved with right. um you know with systemic discrimination or what have you and there's a there's lots to talk about around that all right well. so yeah so we'll i'll make sure i remember to ask you that question before we stop here mm-hmm. but i wanted to just get to the basics uh first i think people still tend to get intimidated or overwhelmed when they hear terms that they don't quite understand mm-hmm. like data science machine learning even big data which you know we've been using that as a term for some time now mm-hmm. can you give us a quick non-legal non-technical explanation of what exactly we're talking about here sort of a quick machine learning and employment selection for dummies <laughs> sure um So as I mentioned earlier, uh, when I was in school, I learned about sort of more basic statistics. Uh, So things like regression. Um, 
And for anyone that's listening that's familiar with regression, just as a concept, um, the idea is just you have multiple variables or factors that you want to use to try to predict an outcome. And those are weighted differently based on their importance in a given situation. And so if you start with that basic understanding of you know just prediction and using data from that level, it's not really that big of a jump to machine learning and data science. Um, I think they're just more powerful versions of those old, more traditional statistics. So I, I understand sort of the like, what does it mean? And it sounds kind of scary. And just my own journey maybe, you know, sort of highlights that a little bit because at the commission and before that, I was the one who handled the data and I was the one who did the analytics. Here at Pymetrics, we've got a team of data scientists who were trained in slightly different methods to use slightly different tools and now they do the data and they do the analytics and I help guide, me and my team help guide best practices around that and ways to think about that. And so I think one way to just sort of think about this, um, machine learning is, is basically the concept is to train the machine to understand the data and recommend suggestions <laughs> about how to use the data. And when people talk about artificial intelligence, that's what they mean, basically. Machine learning is a class of artificial intelligence. So you're trying to get the machine to think and make suggestions, um, which maybe doesn't calm people down <laughs> if we're listening. <laughs> but there are varying degrees of human oversight. Um, and here, for example, at Pymetrics, we've made the decision to increase that human oversight so we know exactly what the machine is doing, what the machine is thinking. It's more making recommendations to us about final algorithms that we should choose going forward. And so at the risk of oversimplifying things, is the purpose or the perceived benefit of uh, going at it with machine learning and, and data analytics um, so that you can take out sort of human biases mm -hmm. uh, and have uh, artificial intelligence provide recommendations to the humans mm -hmm. so that you're hopefully, as I said, getting rid of whatever human biases, human experiences may go into recruitment, hiring, and other types of decisions? Yeah, that's a big important point about overseeing the AI or the machine learning. Um, so the the specific way that we handle it here at Pymetrics, for example, I think anybody who's listening who's familiar with the space is thinking, that sounds great and you seem to be trying to sell it, but <laughs> if, you, if you train your algorithms on data that is biased, you're going to end up with a biased mm -hmm. solution, which Makes is, sense. that's exactly the truth. So what we need is to build systems thoughtfully with human oversight. And so the way we do it here at Pymetrics, um, just to give a solid concrete example, is that we have clients um, who come to us and say, look, I could use a new assessment to recruit and select, say, customer service personnel at my company. Great. So we do train our algorithms on people who are already successful in that company doing um, customer service. But then, but then we take a look at it and we audit it. In fact, Pymetrics has open sourced um, our auditing technology. It's called Audit AI. For those of you that happen to be familiar with GitHub, you can find the actual code out there that is exactly how we check our algorithms. So we build the algorithm on successful people who are doing the job at the company, customer service, and then before we deploy it, before we ever use it on candidates, we actually run a group of people through it and just look to see quantitatively, do men 
significantly outscore women? Do whites significantly outscore African Americans, etc.? In just the way I would have done those analyses at EEOC. And I don't have any insider knowledge that other, say, IO psychologists or experts in this area wouldn't have. We do four-fifths statistical uh, significance testing, and again, it's all open sourced. So what we do is then if we find with that original algorithm a difference between how different groups are performing, then the nice thing is we can just open up the algorithm and say, what is the predictor here that's causing the issue? And what happens when we take that predictor away? Remember I talked about the concept of multiple regression mm-hmm. earlier. So you can see the predictors in the algorithm. And let's say it's some measure, for example, of risk taking in this instance that's causing a, a male-female difference. We have so many individual predictors that when we take that particular measure away, the algorithm reorga- reorganizes itself and we test it again. And we test it again and again and again until the outcomes don't indicate any significant difference between demographic groups. So that's an example of oversight, human oversight to the algorithm to make sure it meets, you know, current regulatory requirements. There's really no reason anyone shouldn't do something similar. And to be clear, uh, for, the, for those who are listening and thinking about uh, the process for their company, perhaps, people inside the company, they don't have to be experts in statistics or algorithms or even how to spell algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of why where you come in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we work with... To be honest, we work with a range of clients, and some of our clients do have internal experts, some of the bigger, more complicated clients, and those are interesting conversations to have, and they always have great, thoughtful questions, and we try to answer them and be as transparent as possible. But we have other clients who don't have those internal resources, and we try to make it as clear and straightforward for them to understand as they want to understand it. so yeah, the, you don't have to have internal experts in order to use tools like this. What I would recommend is that you think about issues like fairness and issues like, does this thing actually help me select better people? And you can turn those questions around on people like you know me who are <laughs> trying to offer you a solution. You can just ask the questions of, how do you know it's fair? How do you know it's gonna predict performance? What kind of ROI do you get? We, you know, thoughtful vendors have answers to all those kinds of questions. Yeah, and just to piggyback then on what you just said uh, in terms of uh, the company coming back and asking you follow-up questions, what do you tell companies uh, if their question is, well, why should I be doing this? Mm. Why should I be looking at uh, data science and machine learning specifically for, you know, the employment selection process? What, what am sure. I, why should I be uh, utilizing uh, this stuff now when I haven't been doing it forever? Yeah, it's a good question. There are different motivations. Some clients come to us and say, um, you know, I'm spending lots and lots of money on trying to hire people. It's very expensive to hire people. It's also difficult to find the right people for the right roles that are going to be happy, be productive, stick around, you know, all this kind of thing. So we have some clients come to us and just say, I can tell I could use an improvement. Um, tell me about your tool. Um, we have other clients come to us and say, I've just heard a lot about this and I want you to explain it to me and tell me. Um, so, you know, what is our kind of position on why you should? As scary as these things might seem, they also, again, really provide a potential improvement on the status quo. So I mentioned earlier, like IQ tests, for example. IQ tests have been around for God knows how long and they, they have been used and they are currently used for hiring people. So, you know, for attorneys listening listening in, you would be familiar like with Griggs Duke Power, um, the 
you know, landmark civil rights case that looked at, uh, that really sort of set the standard for disparate impact. And that was an IQ test that was the problem there, an IQ test and a high school diploma. So we know, I mean, through countless, you know, um, research studies and also, you know, case law that IQ tests tend to be discriminatory. Um, they tend to select more men, um, more white people, more Asian people. So we actually have an opportunity to not have that problem, <laughs> to actually select people more fairly in a way that's actually going to be more job related um, if we use these new tools in a thoughtful way. So your question, you know, why should I do it if I'm a client, kind of depends on what you're looking for. Some of our clients are looking for um, saving time and money and we can talk about that. Other clients are looking for fairness, validity, more scientific, legal type issues, and we can talk about that. Um, so there's a, there's a myriad of um, reasons why you should consider this, but I think it would probably be remiss to not at least think like, okay, what am I currently using? What is this new thing? Am I interested in looking into it and just asking all the right questions and thinking about how it could benefit me? Does machine learning and artificial intelligence actually guarantee to take all biases out of the process, or, or is it possible that the same biases or perhaps even new ones can still exist in the process? Yeah, so I mean, what, what machine learning and artificial intelligence type tools do in terms of removing biases, right at the front end... I mean, human beings have biases, right? So sure. before I got into this field, I studied psychology. And so I think I've written multiple papers <laughs> on just, it is the human way. When you look at a person, you automatically know, I'm looking at you, you're a white man. Like before I even think about it, I got it. Sure, and part of our annual harassment training, workplace mm -hmm. training, yeah. has really incorporated the concept of implicit bias mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily fighting the fact that we all have implicit biases, but let's acknowledge it and now what do we do to try to eradicate it or try to manage it in our processes? Yeah, and you know, trainings like that and thinking like that and talking like that is, you know, should be commended. It's, that's wonderful. It's needed. <laughs> and it's great. I think, um, unfortunately, there's only so far you can go when it comes to thinking about high-stakes decision-making, like hiring people. Um, because without even being aware of it, again, like you say, implicit biases can creep in. So what artificial intelligence and machine learning tools do is they, if they're trained appropriately and if they're tested appropriately in the ways that we've been talking about, they can take that out. And so what we end up seeing is that, you know, uh, clients who maybe never wanted to open up their recruiting to people with different kinds of backgrounds, if they know they have a tool that's actually gonna recommend people who, are, who have really have a chance of being good at this thing and enjoying it and sticking around, they'll open up to like different types of people. Um, and then, you know, you, you lose the bias in terms of thinking, for example, like, okay, this person might have a degree, but it came from like an online institution. Mm -hmm. And if you look at who gets degrees from online institutions, those tend to be related to like your demographic background, right? Whether it's socioeconomic or, or exactly, yeah. yeah. So a tool like this, what it does basically is, you know, it does take the human out to a certain amount um, in terms of the human biases that we all have, myself included. I don't put myself above anyone else because that's the way the human brain works as we categorize things. If we didn't, the world would be too much information for us to take in. 
Okay. And so is machine learning mainly used for recruitment and hiring uh, in this space, or are there other uh, uses for it? Yeah, so I think recruitment and hiring is the space where it's most active. And I think the reason why, I mean, a lot of our clients are sort of high volume recruitment and hiring instances um, because you've got a lot of people. And it's interesting because I've had really smart people ask me the question of, <laughs> hmm. why do you need a tool at all? Why don't you just spend time with all of your candidates? Our clients are seeing thousands of candidates applying for a job, and you just can't spend time with all of them. Right. So you need some something at what we call like top of funnel to winnow down to uh, a group of people who would be more likely qualified, more likely interested, more likely a good fit. Um, so we see you know a really obvious use case in recruitment and hiring. I think. Going forward, as the economy changes, I mean, I'm not an economist, but it looks like maybe like we've been on, we've been riding a pretty high wave of like hiring. Yeah, so far <laughs> uh, so good. Exactly. Um, if things, as things maybe change a little bit, there's definitely a space for machine learning opportunities for like lateral moves within companies, um, for promotion. What about reductions in force or layoffs, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean. Reduction in force and layoff, to be honest with you, the, the use case isn't as obvious. The main thing is because you know who you have in your workforce and you can look at their, like in a more direct way, their performance data and, and think about, you know, how you want to take this finite group of people and decide who, who sticks around. There may be someone out there, I don't want to speak for the entire field, who's thinking about using machine learning. The use case isn't as obvious to me. Where it is more obvious is, let's say you're you're shutting down like one department or one job, but then you're creating a new one that suits better for the changing economy. Mm-hmm. Thinking about not only from that department, but from other departments, like I'm going to have to reskill these people anyway because they might not be ready for this completely new job. Who among my current employees would be a good fit so that then I can spend my time and money reskilling the right people for the right role? I think there's a clear use case for, for machine learning and those kind of opportunities. So it's still a recruitment process, but you're just recruiting your internal candidates, and many of whom, as you said before, you might not know. So that's where it's perhaps a little different than the RIF or the layoff scenario. Yeah, it's, t- it's a little bit different. And I think traditionally, if you're listening to this and thinking, well, why would I need that? I could just look at people's skills like a hard skill assessment and think are they ready for let's say I want to go digital marketing in my company rather than more traditional marketing I think one thing to think about is that a lot of these newer tools like the one that Pymetrics creates um, can give you a better sense of using multiple data points who would just be a good fit internal type fit who's like social emotional sort of softer skills would fit better with this type of role so that then I spend my time reskilling those people um, appropriately. You know, I come, I, this is sort of a side story, but I grew up in the industrial northeast in Buffalo. And, you know, when I was a kid, it was like um, unions and labor organizations sure. and, you know, that, this kind of thing. And when I go back home, a lot of that stuff is gone, right? So what do you do with those people? I mean, these are like hardworking people who held jobs for a long time, did a good job, but the jobs are just gone. So I think there's unfortunately a lot of people out there who are just kind of left set aside in the changing economy. And I think a lot of these tools can be used for good, finding folks who are hardworking, skilled, 
to move into jobs in the new economy. I think that's a this is a very underutilized technology for that purpose in particular. That's interesting. Do you have any examples of specific uses of artificial intelligence uh, in the recruitment process? Uh, I've been reading a lot recently, actually, uh, about facial recognition technology and uh, you know some potential issues, legal and otherwise, with that. You, you have any examples? Yeah, I mean, the facial analysis stuff is is a very hot topic right now. And what um, is it? For those people who are not really familiar with it, what sure, essentially what is, it? is facial recognition technology? Yeah, so I mean, I think it started with the idea that we don't have time to interview everyone we want to interview, so let's do like video interviews. And that makes a lot of sense so that you, you know, you the recruiter can watch the video on your own time. But then... Machine learning and artificial intelligence started getting involved because you can add, that's data when you have a video of someone or when you have a voice. Voice information can be data as well. Everything's really data when it comes down to it, other than it's just. It's not just documents, it's not just words. That's exactly right. And people, I think, don't understand that. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, when you're reviewing a video of a person speaking, you can get things like their facial expressions. Um, from you know their voice you can get the tone the inflection the movement the pauses um, there's a lot of data to be harvested in a video interview and so there are definitely vendors out there who are offering that technology um, in a similar way to what I've been talking about that you look at say what successful people in the role do in terms of their facial expressions and their voice inflection and all this and then how do you use that in the context of the video interview to select people who will be a good fit I think the trick there is it's it's much less obvious how that's job related and consistent with business necessity in the legal language the kinds of things that like pymetrics measures it's it's a lot easier for us to do a job analysis and and match it up and say here's how it's re relevant I think um, it's tricky, the, the video uh, or facial analysis stuff, not only because it's harder to explain the job relevance, but also because we know from research that tone of voice, you know, inflection, uh, spacing between words, facial expressions. The way your eyes are looking up, down, to the right, to the left. Yeah. Not only is it maybe not as easy to explain job relevance, but it also, we know, tends to differ based on demographic information. Right. And even, even being able to recognize things at the same level of um, accuracy and specificity tends to change based on someone's skin color. And so it, that world is a little bit tricky right now <laughs> um, and you know there are even state laws popping up right now that that are trying to address there's one in Illinois for example that really I think the main thing with the Illinois law is um, that vendors or employers who are using these technologies need to tell candidates you will be analyzed using AI and these are the general characteristics on which you will be analyzed. Um, I think you're probably going to see more like that coming out over the you know coming years. Uh, more kind of rules and regulations around letting people know how they're being analyzed and what's affecting them. That's a great segue uh, for the next question I wanted to ask you. That is, are there any regulations uh, or guidelines out there currently in this area? Uh, one of those, as you said, in Illinois, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll probably see more uh, in the area of facial recognition technology. What notifications do you have to give? How do you have to use it? Are there any general regulations or guidelines in this area when it comes to employee selection procedures and data science or machine learning in the recruitment process? Yep, absolutely. There is the 
uniform guidelines on employee selection procedures um, that came out. It's been a while now. It's, it was 1978 when UGESP came out. And so I often get asked the question, is UGESP still relevant? And yes. The 1970s <laughs> that came out. It came out quite a while ago. But you know what it says, I mean, it's long and everybody should have a look at it. But uh, what I boil it down to is it basically says, Hey, if you're using some employment selection procedure, which most are, especially for volume hiring, as we've discussed, you need to look at, is it treating people fairly? So the kind of adverse impact analyses I was talking about earlier, it's all spelled out really in that document, how you're supposed to do that. It's not a secret. And then if you find differences, basically what UGESP says is if you find differences by demographic group on performance on this procedure, then you have to be able to demonstrate its job relevance. Um, its validity is another word that we use. And so that's why the conversation we were having a minute ago about the facial recognition stuff is tricky because it probably is going to cause those kind without me looking at the data it probably is going to cause those kinds of differences and then it's probably tricky to explain the job relevance of it and should we expect to see future regulations and guidelines in this area as people uh, start using it more and people start uh, understanding this stuff more i think so i think um you know before i left the commission I was kind of shopping around the idea of, <laughs> shouldn't we have just like a fact sheet, a mm -hmm. fact sheet for employers who want to use technologies like this, like what should you be thinking and mm -hmm. how do you interpret UGESP? And, you know, there was, a, there was an election <laughs> and things changed a little bit. So I'll chalk it up to that, not exactly going the way I would have hoped for. For a whole other episode. <laughs> exactly. We'll, but we'll, do, I, we'll do part two on that. There you go. But I think in the future, it's fairly inevitable that the commission will have to clarify um, at some point, you know, because these technologies, as I say, it's very hard to put the genie back in the bottle. I personally don't think we need to or should. I think we just need to be thoughtful about them. And so I'd keep an eye out. Um, I think the state and local level is more active since the federal government is where it is right now. So that's why you saw the thing in Illinois. You'll probably see things, you know, I would watch California, New York, you know, those kinds of places um, to keep an eye on developments. And then when the you know when maybe things change in dc i'd keep an eye on the federal level how does the eeoc generally view these issues in terms of the use of machine learning data science for the recruitment process i mean you know when i was there as i say like i uh started really just thinking okay so these are new assessments and i had been doing helping with systemic investigations for however long and so I think, I mean, I can't speak for the commission, but I think the commission still thinks, okay, so it's an assessment. It's an employment selection device. So the old rules, and that's why I think UGESP is still relevant, still apply. Like, does it have adverse impact? Yes or no? Is it job relevant, consistent with business necessity? Yes or no? So I think without additional sort of guidance or fact sheets, I think everybody needs to, to pull up the, the UGESP and dust it off and read it again. <laughs> And, you know, any vendor who, you know, you consider as an employer um, should be able to talk about it, should know that it exists and should have thought about it in terms of this, this new tool. Has the EEOC actually ever required employers to go through this process sort of as a remedial, you know, we've looked at your recruitment process mm -hmm. basically from a complaint or mm -hmm. group of complaints mm -hmm. and we're requiring you as part of our settlement process uh, to go and use machine learning or data science. Is that anything that's ever come up? 
not to my awareness we're requiring you to use machine learning or data science and and I'm not a lawyer I should have probably mm -hmm. said at the top I'm a psychologist but um, to my awareness it's been the the communications have been more like there's a problem with this particular selection device that you're using and you got to stop using that one <laughs> and going forward you have to do what you guess says which is whatever you're using you have to do these adverse impact analyses you have to do these validity studies going forward and you have to check with the commission you know to tell to show that you're doing that over a period of time but I, i'd be surprised if the commission ever said you have to use this selection device now, not that one. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, and, and again, I say this all the time. We're, you know, about a half hour into this, and, and I can sit here for hours and talk about this stuff. This is it's so fascinating to me, and I think so important, particularly as we move forward uh, for HR professionals and, and business owners uh, and even applicants. Mm -hmm. um, but so for those employers, in-house counsel, HR professionals listening out there, mm -hmm. um, what should employers be thinking about right now when it comes to the use of machine learning or artificial intelligence in the recruitment process? Yeah, so I think anyone who happens to look at like previous um, sort of talks that I've given or things that I've written, mm -hmm. <laughs> they would notice my um, evolution over a period of time. Because early days, if you had asked me that in 2016, I probably would have said, you need to be really careful, you need to think about like all the stuff we've talked about so far, you need to look at the uniform guidelines, these things can carry bias and cause discrimination, and all of that is still true, you still need to be careful, you still need to think, mm -hmm. but my now my experiences is I've seen more and more where um, I think some employers uh, are missing out, actually, <laughs> because that message has been so well received that it's scary. Like, I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble for using something new and different. I don't want to be the first one, you know, that kind of thing. I understand that, but I also think you could be missing out because the more I've seen these more traditional tools and um, employers' use of them, the more I've seen, wow, we could do a lot better. We could do a lot better. Um, and you know, I've had interesting conversations. I'm not a salesperson, but sometimes I sit with our salespeople mm -hmm. while they talk and because they want an expert in the room. And you know, I've, I've seen the, the reticence and I've seen, you know, the employers and their counsel, like, you know, just nervously grinding their teeth on the other side <laughs> of the table. And I've had following those conversations more one-to-one, -one, like with a general counsel or with a, an expert on the other side. And I've heard some really interesting feedback. I think the one that really raised my eyebrows the most was, okay, Kelly, look, I know your thing is probably more fair than the thing we're using right now, but I understand the thing that we're using right, right. now, and I'm just going to stick with it. Well, that's what I meant before when I said, you know, people <laughs> yeah. may not be going this route because they're just either afraid of the unknown or yeah. they just don't understand what we're even talking about. Yeah, and I mean, I just think that's a bummer, and that's why I'm always willing to, like, you know, do ABA events or do podcasts like these or write whatever anybody wants me to write because... I just think, I've just seen it enough now that I think people are missing out, and I think we, it's just, you're going to get left behind. <laughs> like, I think it's time to get on the bus and just help us all figure out as a community how to make these tools better. Um, you threw me off with the technical when you said a bummer. You, you, you threw me off a little <laughs> bit. I was, I was trying to keep you non-technical for, for this. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, I have a way of doing that, throwing out those highly technical yes, terms. Exactly. <laughs> Another acronym there. Um, yeah. So uh, any, any other takeaways that uh, you want to leave uh, for some corporate folks? You've given some really great information, some great food for thought. Any, any other takeaways that you would uh, want to share? 
I mean, we talked about a lot of the really heavy hitters, you know, again, just kind of to review. I mean, it's, uh, again, I'm not a salesperson, so I'm not here to tell you it's a silver bullet, but we definitely have new, innovative ways of doing things. I think, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of there's no way, you know, it could work. It's this new, different thing that scares me. I think being open-minded, asking the right questions, just weighing your options out there, um, and not being stuck with the status quo, don't be afraid um, just go into it with your eyes open is really the best the best advice I can give. Yeah, no, and that's great. And, and I think as we move into 2020, certainly, I, I don't know that you will still be able to say that you're afraid of being the first ones out there because right. I think it's being used by a lot more companies uh, now as we're in 2020. And I also think that at some point, whether it's this year or next year, you may start to see a problem if your recruitment process is being challenged and you were one of the only ones at that point who weren't using in some respect respect uh, data science machine learning and, and so then you're going to be challenged as to why you didn't when that was available to you. Exactly and I would you know if there happens to be any sort of internal experts like IO psychologists who happen to be listening to this who work for large organizations. That is a big part of my audience by the way. Okay nice I would say you know um, it. I don't think experts should be afraid of it either. I wasn't trained in this you know I, my background was at EEOC and I think um, there's no reason why we can't be, we the IO psychologists I'm talking to now, we can't be the leaders in this field. Data scientists look to us <laughs> for advice on how to build these things and how to do it in the, in the best possible way. So I think as a, as a community of experts, you know, we need to be open to new ideas and, and working together with experts from other fields. And if we don't, we do risk being left behind. And I don't think any of us want that. That's a great, uh, great thing to leave with. So if someone does, I know you're not a salesperson and, and uh, yeah, you haven't been pitchy at all, but uh, I'll give you that opportunity now. If someone does want to find you, yeah. uh, how do they do that? Yeah, so you can just look us up at Pymetrics.com. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, we're all over the place. And you can feel free to reach out to me if you want more specifics on the science. Um, I've got a whole team that I could delegate to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look us up, check us out, just consider us, consider, you know, consider your options, really. Yeah. It's just a matter of listening and understanding this and so that you can make at least an educated decision as to whether you want to go down the road, whether you don't want to go down, or partially, at least you'll know your options. Yeah, that's exactly right. Kelly, thank you so much. I can't, I uh, really can't thank you enough. This has been terrific and uh, good food for thought. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. I enjoyed it. I hope you found that as informative as I did. I uh, look forward to bringing Kelly back in future episodes to talk a little bit more about these issues as these issues continue to develop. Thank you so much again for listening, and until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.